I like to do little gags occasionally for these. You've probably noticed if you've been going through this series. I actually put some thought into some of the gags I could do. Like, you know, I've got my, my button down I use, right? I could have uh, had one color here and had the other color be really uncomfortable, but I could do it for you know, however long we're going to be talking here. Um, I didn't want to do any actual face paint because there's some connotations with that. I ultimately decided against any gags because this, well, this isn't a gag episode, is it? I want to let you in on something. I've been keeping track as I've been going through TOS, which is something I should have been doing for every other show before this, but whatever. Um, so I've been kind of building the VHS list and the skip list as I go. But in truth, it's actually four lists. There's the gush at the very top, then the VHS list. So both of those are technically part of the VHS, but, you know, there's the great and the good. And then there's the skips and the lamentations, which are both part of the skip list, right? So great, good, bad, lamentation. And way at the top here in the gushes are quite a few episodes you'd probably recognize. A Muck Time, Errand of Mercy, Balance of Terror, Trouble with Tribbles, City on the Edge of Forever, Taste of Armageddon, Doomsday Machine, Mirror Mirror, Piece of the Action, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Also the Enterprise Incident. I will freely admit I am actually quite surprised that two season three episodes are on the gush list. I was not expecting that. I was kind of expecting this one. It's a very well-known episode, and for a very good reason. But I, I, I haven't watched this episode in some time, and I forgot how good it was. This was written by Dean Kuhn and Oliver Crawford. Now, Kuhn, I've said a lot about his, uh, his stuff, so I'll leave that for later. In fact, I'm going to do a little thing here to remind myself of that. Crawford, he also worked on uh, Galileo 7 and Cloudminders, which we haven't gotten to yet. And this is directed by Judd Taylor, who's a good director, as we've already established. Judd, apparently, is actually the one who came up with the skin thing. The original treatise was there was going to be a devil and an angel, which explains some nonsense I'll get to later. But then he's like, well, wait, 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 why don't we do, like, black and white? And then someone else, later on in the makeup department, is like, why don't we do it like this? So they're going to this planet, and it's going to be wiped out by this bacteria. Okay, that's weird, but it's okay. We can fix it effortlessly. Okay, that's weird. This then leads to them picking up Lokai, who has escaped in a shuttle. And as they do it, Spock and McCoy snap at each other for a bit. Kirk kind of pushes, and Lokai, well, he's really obstinate, but ultimately just, multi just very defensive about the fact that he <clears throat> borrowed a shuttle. One thing I never noticed before is Loki is shown as almost universally better than Beale. Ignoring the obvious, you know, the, the fact that Beale is the one who takes over the ship and all that fact, fun stuff. The fact is, Loki consistently gives his... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. The episode seems slanted towards the idea that Loki is a revolutionary. And Beale is a corrupt agent of a corrupt government. You know, he, he, uh, Beale mentions this idea, we have you, your kind, pinned up in districts, and Lokai is the one who is totally willing to kill however many he needs to in order to make his ends happen, right? All of this lines up, all of this makes a degree of sense, but the problem is that turns Lokai into, at worst, a terrorist, and Beale, at worst, a Nazi. Which do you think is worse? 
I mean, I suppose that is a matter of opinion. After all, at one point he mentions, Lokai mentions having absolutely no hesitation or fear of, you know, stealing a shuttle because he had need of it. I had need of the shuttle, and therefore it's okay for me to steal it. He doesn't say it exactly like that, but that is what he means. And, I mean, do you ever see Aladdin? Because it's totally cool to steal food if you need to eat, right? If you have a need to steal. I mean, I could also go back to Chevert and that particular uh, arc, if you want to go with the, the literary concept. But you get the point. It's an interesting mentality. I am very curious what you guys think of Lokai. Not a Beal, just of Lokai in this one. Either way, Lokai, you know, kind of makes his point and hammers it in. And, well, we'll get more to him in a minute. But then we have an invisible ship that shows up. Okay, this is ridiculous. What it is, is they were trying to save money because this is season three. And they were already getting two guest stars and multiple makeup calls. So even though most of this show is set on the ship, and they were borrowing Galileo 7 footage in order to help that thing, they still kind of needed to save some money. Now, they saved money in two key ways in this episode. And I'm actually, one of them was very clever and creative. The other one is stupid. Which one do you think the invisible ship is? Yeah. The other way, if you're wondering, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't even notice it, is the hands. Both Lokai and Beale wear gloves all the time, so they didn't need to do any extra stuff. In fact, they're wearing a full-body jumpsuit, but the gloves is the important part. So they only had to do the makeup from about, you know, collar up-ish. Nice touch. Anyway, so then we see the red alert homage. It was almost assuredly a direct homage to Batman, since uh, Beale is played by Frank Gorshin, who is probably most well-known in this era for playing the Riddler over on Batman. We just keep getting Batman things on Star Trek. Batman-Star Trek crossover when? Actually, has that happened? I know Marvel has. I know there's X-Men with Star Trek. I'm not sure if DC's ever crossed over. Anyways. <clears throat> Moving on. Be honest with me for a second. How many of you didn't notice the difference between Beale and Lokai until the two of them were standing next to each other. For those of you listening to the MP3 version or not watching, I just raised my hand. I absolutely did not notice at all. Uh, even this time around, it took me a second to process the fact that he had, uh, that, that which side was painted, which was different. Because you just glance at it, it's like, okay, they're, they're both duotone. Okay, cool. And that's pretty much how my brain takes it in. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because that'll come up later in the episode. This then leads to an argument between the two. This is, in many ways, the strength of the episode. Lokai and Beale are both played by excellent answers. Uh, Lou and Frank, who are the two actors, have great chemistry together. Despite being two random guest stars who don't really do much with each other, Lou would actually go on to be a director, whereas Frank obviously would keep acting for quite some time. But both of them just bounce off of each other and gel beautifully, and every scene between the two of them is just gold. In many cases, you, could, you notice Kirk does nothing. He just stands there and lets them argue until it's time for him to end the scene. And I point that out because... I, f I almost feel like, as, as the director, not that I am directing the episode, but if I was, it would just be like, all right, Shatner, just, just stay back. Just, just, just let him keep acting. 
Let them keep acting off of each other. Just let the scene gush about how wonderful they bounce off each other. And every argument and every counter-argument and every bit of vitriol that the two fling at each other is beautiful. I mentioned that, to be clear, I don't want to say Lokai is a good person. He is, like I said, at worst a terrorist. But the way they present it is so clear that both of them vitriolically hate each other. That there's just this violent rage between the two. The question, of course, is, is any of that justified? Beale's bias and prejudice is very clearly wrong and evil. Let's just be very clear about that. He is demonstrably in the wrong. He's also the one who brings up the racial inequality thing. He's the one who flat out states that. Lokai, well, he tends to be more along the lines of a zealot. If you are not doing everything you can in service of my cause, then you are not worth my time. Zealous, zealotry, as I define it. And you are wrong. And you are acceptable casualty, because you're not... Do Everything's an acceptable casualty in, in service of my cause, whatever that cause may be. Kirk, of course, refuses to take a side. Thank you, Kirk, for that. I do appreciate that. However, he does actually go out of his way to try and be civil. With both of them, actually, in his own way. This leads me to an interesting point. You remember how I've talked many times in this series and in the Enterprise stuff about the idea of a starship captain being an active head of state? Allow me to posit an idea. In my mental rewrite of TOS that I'm totally not doing, wink wink, I, I'm going to make it so that captains in this era of a certain qualification, like maybe a flag captain or a fleet captain, are people who are actual officiates of the state who can do everything I talked about. For those of you who didn't watch that episode or don't care or don't remember, the idea is they can take action as if they are doing so on behalf of the state, in this case the Federation. So Kirk would be one of these captains and he can make decisions that stick when it comes to Federation policy. This idea goes way back, but I think the earliest really big episode where this came in would be Balance of Terror, where he does actually make a state call in that episode, and the Federation backs his play on that one. Now, I bring all this up because I would keep that in this episode, and I would continue to have him not make a call here. I would have him delegate, you know, put it off, put it over to Starfleet Command. Let them deal with this one. I don't want to touch this one with a ten-foot pole. This is obviously way too charged and way too volatile, and I don't know enough to really judge this. So Kirk then recognizes this and puts it off to cooler heads to judge in a more long-term fashion. This then leads to the Federation saying, okay, here's the deal. After your mission, we're going to have a hearing. Once we've had the hearing, we'll judge things, and then we'll probably go ahead and recuse the, the accused over to the commissioner and then give him a transport to be on his way. Thus, Kirk gets to stay kind of hands-off the whole time, which is important because this gives Kirk a very valuable tool. And this actually happens in the real episode. Because he didn't take a side at any point in time, he has the opportunity to try and reach out to both, which he does do. He doesn't succeed, but he does try. Beale mentions he's been pursuing uh, Lokai for 50,000 years. My first thought was that was just an exaggeration. He goes into hyperbole a lot. But then I started thinking about it and looking into the behind the scenes. Near as I can tell, this was actually probably a part of the original script that didn't get cut properly. The whole angel and devil thing. You know, human, uh, earth, mythos kind of a thing. 
if we just sort of mentally rewrite that as 50 years, all of a sudden this lines up very, very well. Because, well, based on what we see at the end, the destruction of Charon, Charon excuse me, is actually pretty recent. The fires are still burning, but some of the foliage and fauna have started to, to creep into the city. So a few years have passed, at least 10-ish years, maybe 20, something like that. So it makes sense that they were destroyed that long ago and he's gone off and blah, blah, blah. It, basically, I'm just saying 50 years would work a lot better than 50,000. And I'm just going to headcanon that from now on. 50,000 stupid. God, I love their back and forth. I really do. I'm sorry, because the, the next major scene is them having another back and forth on the bridge. This then leads to him being like, all right, this is stupid. Pulls out phasers. Phasers are useless. That's actually admittedly a little bit irritating. Sharon taking over the ship. Well, that's another interesting thing. I've been thinking about it as much as I like the self-destruct scene, and I do. It's not quite, it doesn't have quite the same impact as over on Star Trek III. It, very similar scenes, obviously. But it's still a good scene. There's a lot of good tension, there's a lot of good camera angles. And you'll notice as he's doing it, as they're going through it, Beale is periodically doing that concentration usage of his power thing to try and counteract this, and is obviously failing at it, which then leads to him slowly freaking out more and more. Frank Gorshin does some great stuff with his body language in this episode. One of my favorite bits is he's, go he's almost always got this stance where he's just got his arms behind his back and he's standing kind of at attention, but he kind of starts to get a little fidgety when he's being pushed. He looks like he's in control, but he's not, and he starts to kind of clasp his hand and unclasp and clasp his hand as unclasp, and you could see it's getting to him, right? And this happens throughout this scene. He also does some great stuff with his face. Eventually, of course... Uh, this leads to the self destruct By the way, I think... Whoops. Oh, God, we're not... Okay, we didn't cut off recording. Thank God. I think... I, I, I could be wrong here, but I think this is a first. I think this is our first self-destruct, like this, in Star Trek. I, I could be wrong about that. I mean, there's been some fake self-destructs, and there's the Corbomite thing, but I think this is the first actual time we do the self-destruct in this show, in Star Trek in general. Anyways. <clears throat> so, Beale... You know, i got to mention something while we're here. You remember, um, by any other name, Kirk chickened out on self-destructing and then freaked out? And it's one of the things I hated about that episode was Kirk was just so out of character for so much of it. This, uh, this is Kirk right here. And no wonder that both Crawford and Kuhn know how to write Kirk. Go figure, right? The fact that Beale can do this, I feel, is actually a bit to the detriment of the episode, like I said. It turns this from a big, interesting pseudo-dilemma show, which I'll talk about that in a minute, into effectively being a threat. Now it's a threat that has to be overcome, and they overcome it by threatening to destroy the ship. And later on, that just kind of is undone, because he happened to work his way around that, and decided to graciously be, be magnanimous, whereas he didn't have to be. Relying on the, the mercy of your enemy is not the greatest strategy and doesn't really feel like the greatest television construction either. What I would have done, because I don't like to criticize without critiquing, is I would have made it so that Kirk is facing this problem and so he hands it off to Starfleet and Starfleet hands it right back. Yeah, no, go ahead and have the hearing on the ship. And you'll notice there are several scenes after this where Lokai tries to convince the crew and Beale tries to convince the command staff, both of them failing, obviously, but... You see the general just there. Actually, Lokai seems to be succeeding at convincing his people, but I'll get back to that in a minute. 
Have this be more of a dilemma of them trying to debate how to deal with this. And as they're debating the specifics, they've already dealt with the, the crop dusting or whatever they're doing, and they're on their way to Sharon. During the deliberations, they arrive, and the reveal happens. That's how I would do that. Completely eject Beale taking over the ship. Completely eject the superpowers. Just make it more of a character drama. Ironically, while that would take away some of the scenes of the episode, I think that would also improve it, and would be easier on the effects budget, because you wouldn't have to do some of those effects. Anyways. So he gives the ship back. Okay, fine, whatever. There's this great bit where Kirk is speechifying, and he mentions that the need for violence is passed. The need to resort to violence is passed. And I'm going to give you guys free reign of the ship. When he says that, there's this great little bit. As he says the lines, the need for violence has passed. Beale is holding his hand behind his back, and he just... There's this... Inf like, <clears throat> like he just wants to grip his neck the moment he says that. And, of course, he's tightly controlled, so that doesn't show. Wonderful, wonderful acting by Mr. Gorshin. There's, I just wanted to point out one example that there's a lot of little examples like that, but that was the one that really stuck with me. So this leads to, okay, now what do we do? So Lokai goes to his convincing. Now I mentioned this earlier. Lokai tries to convince the crew by mentioning that he is a uh, oppressed peoples, and therefore they should rise up and deal with this. Okay, that, there's a degree of sense making. You'll also notice this is the same pattern that he apparently has been doing for some time. A revolutionary who will not die for his cause, but will gladly get others killed. A zealot, I already said this. What I find really interesting and horrible is he only mentions one actual element of being oppressed, and that is forced conscription. Now, that's a bad thing. I don't want to try and say it. It isn't. But what I find interesting is I've noticed a lot of times, and I've done this too, in fact, I try not to do this because I hate it when I do this, is we'll have a theory or a feeling or a thought, and we try to push it, but we'll only have the one factoid to support it. Everything else we just kind of rotate around that one fact, right? Hell, I've done that on the show. And like I said, I do try not to do that. I do apologize for that. So I wonder if that's the case here or if there are other legitimate grievances. He just isn't mentioning them. I don't know. There's a lot of lack of information on this episode, and I think it's very much on purpose because that's not the point. We then cut to Beale. Beale is way more unpleasant. He is, of course, going through the command staff and trying to claim him legally. What I find interesting is that he... <laughs> it's pretty much mentioned that he will probably get the prisoner, and he will probably get his transport. All he has to do is go through a hearing. And he doesn't want to go through that hearing because, he, you know, he does, he's, he's this close. I've got, the, I've got them. He is Chevert in this situation, right? And he's got to have him. This then leads to the thing the episode is most famous for. And frankly, the best part of the episode... I hesitate to say it like that, because at the 36-minute mark, they say, well, you know, it's like, what Kirk flat out mentions that they're the same race, because the assumption in character up until now is that Beale and Lokai are actually of the same race. This is when Beale corrects that and says, no, we're of different race, because, you know, black versus, you know, the, the, the skin is different, the, the, where, where the black versus white is, is flipped on both of them. And he acts like it's such an obvious thing. And, and this, of course, ties into my earlier comment, how many of you noticed without it being pointed out. But he talks about it like it's this big, horrible thing. And that's the point. This is a message show. This isn't a dilemma show. There's no dilemma here. The dilemma is solved by itself. 
the threat. There is a threat, but that's like the first act threat. That's just to give some action to the episode. This, is, this isn't quite a thinker because it's not really here to engage your brain in the strictest sense of the word. This is a message show. It is incredibly anvilicious. And this is one of the reasons why I hate to say something like, well, the message is too overt, therefore it's bad. Because sometimes the message being too overt can be a good thing. I think this is a good message show. To be perfectly blunt, I think this is one of the best message shows Star Trek has ever done in any of the shows I've seen. My opinion. I would, as ever, love to hear yours. It is utterly unashamed, brutal, and straight up in your face about how nonsensical and ridiculous these kinds of <sighs> bigotry are. The ideas that go into them, which I, I will freely admit I've never understood. Uh, maybe that's just because of my upbringing or... or the places I've lived because I've bounced around so much when I was growing up. You know, the gypsy, right? I never lived any place longer than one year in my life up until I was, uh, God, in high school. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's where that's coming from. I don't know. The idea of this, this judgment is portrayed as nonsensical, is portrayed as insane, and frankly idiotic. And it should be, in my opinion. So they, 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 they go to the planet, Arianus, and they the ship flies by it, nothing happens. Do they beam down something? Is there radiation they're bathing the planet in? I don't know. They fix the planet. And then Beale, who's been very reasonable, is like, hey, let's go. And they start going to Sharon, and the two start fighting, and naturally it causes issues. Unnecessary. Doesn't need to, uh, doesn't need to be part of the thing, I don't think. One of them calls one a half-white. One of them calls them a half-black. Yeah. That's probably the one and only time Lokai shows any real racial prejudice against Beale. We also hear that, let this be your last battlefield. Roll credits, roll credits. The two continue to, to be in conflict until they come in range of Sharon. Way too quickly, I might add. But they come in range of Sharon. And Sharon is burning. Everyone's dead. Everyone's been dead. Everyone's been dead for years. It says all it needs to, doesn't it? It is exactly as powerful as a message as it needs to be. The idea that the unrelenting, unyielding nature of it never stopped. The cycle of violence, or, or maybe the sins of the fathers, or just straight up, plain old bigotry never stopped. And it led to a civil war of planetary proportions, and Sharon is now gone. What follows after this is just, the what happens here is they, they smash that hammer right down there. Then, this is clever, and I love this, what happens is, after smashing the viewer in the face with that reality of, of the millions or billions dead, what it then does is the typical Trek thing, you could come live in the Federation, the reaching out the hand. Like, if there is one thing that is Trek, it is the reaching out the hand, in my opinion. It's knocked away by both of them. In turn, he reaches out to Lokai. No, your cause will die. It's over. You, why go on? Beale, you, you could exist. He's gone. The chase is ended. Both of them ignore him. They chase each... Well, Beale chases Lokai throughout the ship. 
And as they're running, they make a point of showing, both actors are, are deliberately shown as, as being just physically exhausted as both of them are picturing or possibly literally feeling the death and destruction on the planet, the fires that are still burning. And the episode takes its time here. It doesn't just end quickly or succinctly. It makes sure to emphasize with successive, repeat showcasings of both of them and the visions that they're having of the planet. And then they beam down to the planet and they continue the fight. This is very well emphasized and very unflinching in how it does it. And I am completely on board. I hope this at least gets across some of the reason why I love this episode so much, why it's in the gush category, not simply good, not simply a rewatch. This is a powerful episode. I hate to do the edit, I'm sorry. I had someone very loud <laughs> next door and I, it, it was basically destroying the take, so I just paused for a second. Before we wrap up, I do want to mention this is the very last work that Gene Kuhn would do for Star Trek right here. This is the end. There's nothing else for him after this point. Um, obviously, the amount to which he was involved in this episode is actually debated. Obviously, he does get story credit for it, but how much of this was his episode, how much of it was Oliver Crawford's, is something that I've heard conflicting reports on. But either way, Gene Kuhn, who, in my opinion, was one of the really big names that helped Trek be Trek, is no longer with us in general, but also is no longer with the show after this point, and that sucks. And I wanted to mark his passing, so to speak. He has been an invaluable, in my opinion, an invaluable insight and shaper of what Star Trek is and was. And we lost another one with this one, Robert Justman. Robert Justman has been on board since the very beginning. I have been mentioning that name since, I think, the intro video, but I know at the very least since The Cage. Robert Justman has been one of the big executive forces and producers behind making this show what it is. He has been an awesome, amazing, and very positive impact on Star Trek. Um, while I give Gene Kuhn a lot of credit, I want to make this clear that it's hard for me to underestimate the impact Robert Justman as an individual had on this show. The fact was he was just sick and tired of it. He was tired of the decrease in quality. He was tired of the overwork. He was tired of the terrible conditions, the bad support. And frankly, he was really pissed off at Roddenberry at this point in history. So he just said nope and just bowed out. And I don't blame him. But I want to give the man veneration. I want to give the man credit because in many, many, many ways we have Trek because of Robert Jusman. Well, he did not work in a vacuum, and I don't want to imply such. He was a big contributor. I think at this point we only have one of the old guard left, and even that's just kind of a debatable asterisk. <sighs> uh, but allow me to uh, get back to the part of the take that uh, wasn't ruined. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I am very much looking forward to yours, as always. I'll see you next time.